This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello, and welcome to Awesome Etiquette. We have such a fun show for you today. Yes, we do. We have a fun show for you today. We're going to be trying some new things that we're really excited about. We're also going to answer some of your questions just like we always do. There's some questions on parking in a blizzard. There's questions on business titles and a classic chivalry on dates. I am especially excited because our postscript segment is entirely about our pizza topping etiquette question from way back. And I am thrilled to get to share just how much this question spurred further conversation. That's all coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. And we're from the Emily Post Institute. And we're back. I know, right? You're back. I missed you so much. It was ridiculous. Well, I missed you too. And <laughs> I tell you, it's so nice to come home and to hear, I missed you. <laughs> I know. I think you were like half thinking you'd come home and I'd be like, I don't need you here anymore. And that was so not the way that it went down. I was like, oh my gosh, I don't want to run this company without you. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, it's really, you're my buddy. <laughs> it's really sweet to hear. It was good to, to get a break. It was good to be away yeah. and to take that space and, and that time. But I also feel refreshed, and it's and it's nice to, to be ready to dive back in and to have people ready to receive you. All right, so we prepped everybody about your trip for the past month. So tell them, like, a couple highlights. Oh, my goodness. I'm still processing. It was yeah. absolutely incredible. Pooja and I would look at each other over the course of the trip and just say, can you believe it? Can you believe we're doing this? This is a trip <laughs> of a lifetime. <laughs> was it awesome getting to meet her family that weren't able to come to the wedding? It was. We filled in the gaps. Yeah. A, a lot of Pooja's mother's family lives in India, and there were folks that just couldn't make it to the weddings, yeah. but are people that she's really close to. And I so appreciated my parents making the effort to do that part of the trip with us because it was a, a chance to introduce two families, and, and family's really important to me, and that was awesome. One of our listeners, Jessica, actually yeah. sent you this like really cool written like diagram of tips. It's actually pretty artistic. It's awesome. And did you use that on your trip? Yes. Okay. So big picture, the India part of the trip, first two weeks was incredible. Yeah. And I'll, I'll give some more details as we go along. I saw pictures of Dan and my aunt Cindy on camels. Like it was great. It was Sendings total in classic. Rajasthan. Like yeah. Awesome. And you need. To, we're definitely posting a picture of your vacation outfits because they're a riot. Uh, agreed. You, you're like, I love that you're silent for a minute on that. All I'm going to say is umbrella style. Yeah. I embrace the umbrella. Totally. Um, the second part of the trip, Bali, second two weeks, an unexpected um, and really pleasant surprise. It wasn't a place that was on my radar. I hadn't read Eat, really? Love, Pray. Yeah. Um, okay, gotcha. <laughs> but I understand why now it's two legs of, of that incredible journey. And, and the Bali part of the trip was just so incredible, relaxing. That tropical paradise that you dream about, it exists. <laughs> right before I left on this trip, we got a 
page of handwritten notes that were all tips about places to go in Bali, restaurants to try, warnings about the local cane sugar wine. And it was really helpful and was such a pleasant surprise. I never expected a listener to take that kind of time to really set me up for a better honeymoon experience. So, Jessica, thank you so much. And I'm going to go ahead and post just a portion of that particular note that Jessica sent on our Awesome Etiquette Facebook and Twitter feed. I tell you, one of these days we are going to do an Awesome Etiquette world tour and go visit our listeners in other countries, right? It got me thinking about the international audience that right? we, that we enjoy our cool. relationship with. It is very cool. We've heard from Paris and Germany and New Zealand and Bali and so many places. It's so cool. So very cool. With that, do you think that maybe we should get to some of our listener questions today? Let's do it. All right. You mean that's all there is is what we've talked about? Oh, no. You can learn still more by watching Mother and Dad and other people who have good manners. On every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. And if you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Or we would really love to hear your voice on our show. So give us a call at 802-866-0860. That's 802-866-0860. Our first question today, this question is a winter classic. It has to do with saving parking spots. It begins, Dear Awesome Etiquette, Is it okay to put a chair or crate on the street to save the place you want to park? Let me explain. We live on a block of houses, duplexes, and row homes in Baltimore, Maryland. Some are rented and some are owned. The only available parking on these small streets in Baltimore is street parking. Street parking is public and has always been first come, first serve. Until the recent blizzard here. Since the blizzard, people shoveled out places to park on the street and then put chairs in the spot to save it letting others know the spot is taken. And if someone were to take their spot, I have seen people get irate and threatening, more than you would believe. But is it really their spot? Even though they dug it out, it's not technically their property. What do you think about saving spots in a blizzard? For the record, I am adamantly opposed, but that's because I have seen people's tires slashed over a stupid street parking spot. Thanks so much. There's no actual etiquette around that? I mean, this is like one of those places where we kind of, you have to make stuff up. I have always been under the assumption that you're not allowed to save a parking spot. I got quite angry, I will admit, at a woman who, you know, downtown Burlington, parking is limited on a Friday night. And here she was standing in an open parking spot on Main Street. So my choices were to run her over with my car or to just leave it be and let her be this kind of jerk standing there holding a spot. And I'm not sure how I would have felt if I was in her place trying to save a spot for someone I know who is parking and being like, okay, I'm just looking out for me here, looking out for numero uno. But at the same time, as someone who is like, hey, parking's first come, first served, and I'm the first one here with a car. So you're Mm -hmm. a person not with a car. I should get that parking space. So I'm not exactly sure where the etiquette is on it, but I tend to lean towards the, no, you can't save spots. And if I was on that Baltimore street, it probably would have wanted to move those chairs and just deal with the fight that would come next. Lizzie, I'm in total agreement with you that there are no seat saves on parking spots, particularly on public parking streets like the one that's being described here. I think that's the good baseline rule to know. I think in a court of law, (laughs) no one would um, recognize your I put a chair or crate here right right? to that spot. You don't own it. It's not a parking place you pay for. It's not on your property. Okay. public parking. I feel better. Having said that, we often say on this show that etiquette is a most powerful tool when you use it to judge and assess your own own behavior. Yeah. So I would say hold yourself accountable to that standard and don't do this yourself. 
having said that, there are neighborhood cultures and there are local cultures and that people feel maybe even legitimately aggrieved when they spend a lot of time clearing a parking spot and someone else takes their spot. And there are oftentimes neighborhood repercussions mm-hmm. to ignoring a local culture. And I think that our, exactly our question what... asker here is wanting to know about that. That's, I call oh, words I can't say because of my New Year's resolution. <laughs> I, I call no on that because, come on, we should not be living in a world of fear that repercussions are going to happen over parking spaces. And I understand reality versus what should be and that sort of thing. But I mean, when it comes down to it, if I've shoveled out a spot and I'm using that spot, sure. But when I leave for work for the day, Mm -hmm. like, it's up for grabs at that point. You don't get to call Herman's. You don't get to call Dibs. You don't get to call, like, whatever's on this. You know, that doesn't work that way. I, I just, I can't get behind it. But here's the thing. I know why people get in this position. It's because, let's say, parents with a newborn or people who are moving things in, you have usually some moment in your week or your month where it just happens to be that you really need that spot to be there when you get home. So I understand the like the pressure that starts to build and makes yeah. you want to do, oh, can I put a chair out there? You know, that sort of a thing. And I just, there, there's got to be a better way, right? Like, I mean, could you call the city and ask them if you can hold the spot for that particular moment? I don't know. That seems extreme. You put a note on the chair, maybe that explains your reasoning. And maybe... I, I kind of really like that. You start to respect someone else's opinion or perspective. And I think that similarly, if you're moving in and there's just a chair and a spot and you desperately need it, you can move the chair yeah. and take the spot. If you know there's been a history of windows being smashed and tires being slashed, that yeah. my mother had an expression. This is Cindy Post saying, I learned this from, from my post mother, that sometimes discretion is the better part of valor. And every once in a while you say to yourself, even though this isn't right, I'm going to save myself the trouble of a smashed window. And I'm <laughs> not going to do this. I'm not going to move this You're chair and take this it. spot. I'm not yeah. going to provoke the trouble. So I think it's worth being aware of that. I don't want to say you're, the righteousness of your cause will protect you. (laughs) But I will say that you're probably in the right. All right. I come down on the side of I like the idea that if you're going to try to save it, leave a note explaining why you're going to save it and say, really hope you can understand this. And if it's saved when you get back, awesome. And if it's not, you know, too bad. But yeah, for me, I'm not sure we, we really give an exact answer on this. But, you know, one of my favorite things is to actually ask our audience what they think. So I want y'all to write in and tell us, you know, even call our number and leave a message telling us how it goes in your city or what you would do if you experience someone trying to save a spot. My vote would be in the camp of if you're going to leave the chair, if you're going to leave the the garbage cans to block it or something like that. Leave a note explaining why you're doing it. And hold yourself accountable. You're going to have less luck or success holding others accountable. Agreed. And best of luck with the parking. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. 
What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our next question is is short, but it's important. It's titled, What's a Proud Parent to Do? Our daughter is graduating from med school soon. What is proper etiquette for us as her parents? Should we have a party? Should we just go to a restaurant? We're stuck on what's proper. Please advise. Thank you so much for your time. I say celebrate. (laughs) This is a big deal. Yeah. Med school graduation is something really to be celebrated. Uh, Congratulations to your daughter on being so close to the finish line of what is a long and difficult race. I have a series of suggestions. A gift would be appropriate. A card, flowers, treat her to a meal, treat her to a party, any of the above, all of the above. This is one of those moments in life, one of those transitional moments when I think it's really worth telling someone how proud you are of them and how excited you are for them to make this this big transition. And if your family does smaller events, going to just that restaurant, the three of you or maybe the immediate family, totally cool. But I think Dan's right that this is a big This is kind of a big deal, and I think it's okay when you have the big deal moments to call upon the extended family and friends and and get them there for a big celebration or at least just to invite them and try to make it happen. If you have some question in your mind, you can always ask, but I also want to encourage you to to trust your judgment. If you know your daughter well and know what she's going to appreciate, go for it. (laughs) I like it. I like it. I like it. And we hope you have a wonderful time celebrating. Congratulations. This question has to do with prying minds who want to know and maybe judge. Hi, Dan and Lizzie. Currently, I'm a high school senior, neck deep in the college application process. Whenever an adult or peer finds out I'm in my last year of high school, it is inevitable that they will bring up the question of, where are you applying? After which, they expect a list of every school where I've submitted an application, along with a detailed explanation of why I chose each school and which ones I'd like to attend most and least. Others want to know my GPA, a breakdown of my SAT score, and the topics of my personal essays. While I know most people are just making conversation or are curious about my future studies, some individuals make comments like, oh, you're applying to that school, or why didn't you apply to this school, which can be discouraging, particularly when you don't get in. I'm sure people don't mean to be nosy, but how should I balance answering such personal questions while maintaining my privacy? Is there a polite way to divert these well-intentioned inquiries? Thank you so much. Amy Mercedes. Dan, I always love your your reference to in European culture not going towards talking about work. 
and how that's something that, that we've talked about on the show before. And this is like the high school senior version of that is mm-hmm. like, you know, you just don't always have to ask. You don't always have to go there. At the same time, you've got loving family and friends who are inquiring minds and they want to know. And they're truthfully, their their hearts are in the right place because they're looking at this very important time in your life and trying to focus on it with you. But I understand when it becomes overwhelming. I think your best defense here is to go into each event knowing how much you personally want to talk about it that night. I love that advice. And even thinking maybe about some of the people you'll engage in it deeper with and others who you'll just give them the the kind of brush off answer. But you got to give the brush off answer in a gentle way so that people don't feel brushed off. Saying something like, you know, it's so often on my mind right now that I'm so grateful for a break from thinking about it tonight. Like, I can't wait to share with everybody once I know what I'm going to do. Like, I'm, I'm excited for that moment, but tonight I just don't want to think about it. And that's a good way to let people know, hey, thanks for inquiring. Obviously, this is a topic people want to talk about, and I'm so grateful for that, but I just don't want to do it tonight. That's perfectly okay. And if you use the language that I gave you, I don't think you'll come across as insulting. One of the other ones is you could say, wow, I certainly have lots of choices to make. Um, I'm trying to make them just one at a time. And that's for when people really start, well, what college? And then, well, if you don't get into that one, what would you get into? Well, what's that essay going to be about? It's just, you know, there's so much to think about. I'm taking it one step at a time. It's a long process. Right? And just acknowledge that and that each little part of it is going to take its own time. And keeping it short and sweet when you just kind of need need to end it is just to say something like, you know, I have no commitments as of yet. And that's it. Just leave it at that. And you'll be amazed that when people hear something like that, they're usually a little a little like dumbfounded, like, oh, what what do I do with that? Often they'll say something really simple like, oh, well, you'll figure it out or good luck as you go along. And that's probably going to be most comforting to you because they're not going to pry deeper. Mm-hmm. And if they do, you can just keep saying, you know, I, I totally understand there's lots to answer. I just I don't have answers to give at this moment. Sounds reasonable to me. The one other thought that I had was sometimes if you don't mind the discussion, but you just don't like how personal it's getting or how probing the questions are, you can always flip the whole discussion around and ask someone how they approached that decision. Where did they go to school? Where did, they Where did go their school? kid go to how school? How did it work out for them? And sometimes you can take that well-intentioned curiosity and acknowledge it and, and find a way to engage the discussion where you're not giving out your GPA and your SAT scores and talking about the most personal and difficult application yeah. essay that you've ever had to write. Because when you flip it on them, all of a sudden, rather than them commenting on your choices, you're asking for their opinion up front, not as a reflection of what you've just told them, but as a first thing. And you never know what you might find out. That's true. The leads that might take you into a, a certain direction in life could come from just about anywhere. And at a transitional moment like this, I think it's, it's sometimes wise to think about uh, keeping those options open. And best of luck as you make your decision. We hope that you fully enjoy and are excited about wherever you end up next year. But there's more. What's that? More questions coming up. But first, a word from our sponsor. Here, let's try another trick. Our next question, I'm very pleased with the very long title that I gave it. For extra credit points, chivalry on a gender-neutral date. What's a date to do? Greetings when on a dinner date and the server checks in and asks, how is everything? Should I, A, answer for myself and let my date answer in turn, B, look at my date, listen to the reply, and if he or she is okay, just simply say, we're fine, thank you, or C, do the exact same thing as example B, except just answer for myself, I'm okay as well, thank you. 
Also, how rude is A? And remember, A was answer for myself and let my date answer for themselves. I noticed myself doing A upon two occasions, and on reflection, it seemed pretty inconsiderate. Unfortunately, when interrupted in the middle of a conversation, decorum can slip. Frankly, I find eating and talking a challenge under the best of circumstances. Extra credit points. Would love to hear an answer to this without your knowing the gender and sexual orientation of the person asking. And I think that our, our listener is saying the person asking, like, whoever's been invited on the date, you know what I mean, or doing the asking of the date. Thanks for your consideration and any tips. The advice kind. I know how to leave a tip. Wink. A rusty dater. Ah, uh, rusty dater. A couple of thoughts. It's not an uncommon question. We get asked different versions of this question all the time. There are all kinds of traditional um, gender role dating rules that people wonder whether or not they still apply, how to apply them, in which circumstances and situations. And it can feel tricky to people at times, and it's really not. My cousin Anna, who taught me a lot about presenting Emily Post material, has a, a great thing that she likes to say when she's talking about traditional gender courtesies and gender courtesy issues. She says it's not about men being polite to women or women being polite to men or women being polite to women or men being polite to men. It's about people being courteous to people. And that's ultimately what matters. And the rules don't vary. You treat other people with kindness, with respect, with consideration and with honesty. There are some general rules that are going to apply. And I think that you want to hold yourself extra accountable in dating situations no matter who you're with. One is that you don't talk over someone, that you make space for someone else to voice their own opinions and to have their own voice. And you can do that in all kinds of different ways. And we'll talk about some of those in a second. Another is that you put others first, and that's really going to illustrate your quality no matter who you're interacting with. I feel like at the table, that's often like deferring to the other person. Like in that scenario, if the, if the server came up and they said, how is everything? I might like gesture towards Dan so that he could answer for himself first. Absolutely. I find yeah. myself doing that all the time. Totally. And at the same time, and I think a good read for who makes that gesture, who defers is whoever's asked first defers to the other person. And that could be either person. And if someone's deferred to you, I think you pick up the ball and you go with it. Nice, nice. The other thing that I would say, and I sometimes see people not observe it, and it always jars me just a little bit, and that's when you talk about someone else in the third person. Yeah. Well, he's having a good time, but really my meal came out a little bit cold. When you talk about someone else in the third person, you... When you pronoun them. Yeah. yeah. You minimize them in some way, and, yeah. and you take some of their voice away yeah. from them. And I think that's something to be really careful with, no matter who you're out with. And just remember, for those in our audience, that's when you're with the person. Like, I would... Sitting here in the studio, I would never refer to Dan as he if our producer was in the studio with us. Oh, he's doing that thing. Well, you know, who's he? He is Dan and Dan is here and I can refer to Dan using his name. Exactly. That's the polite thing to do. So what do you do when that person comes to the table and asks how everything is? I think it's really appropriate to ask your date or defer to your date. You know, how are things going? It's definitely okay to answer for yourself. It's going to happen pretty naturally. And I don't think you want to get too hung up right. on what's the appropriate um, role for you to be playing in that moment. Again, if you're really thinking about putting other people first and, and letting people speak for themselves and not talking about someone as if they're not there, you're going to be in great shape. One thing that comes to mind for me is who took the lead on this date? And I think the person who does the asking is kind of in a position, no matter what gender, the person who did the asking is in a position of taking the lead on the date because often one person is treating the other person or taking them out. No, that doesn't happen all the time. Obviously, people can can share that role to a degree. But I think that 
if we're talking about a date where I've asked someone out and I'm the one taking the lead, I might even um, go so far as to ask my date things that they prefer. Like I might say, do you prefer to order for yourself or would you like me to place the order for us when the server comes back? Some people really prefer old school chivalry where the person who did the asking is going to be the person who takes the lead and kind of manages interacting with the restaurant for the Plays evening. Plays that host role Very more much formally. So. Very much so. And so if you were in that position, I might take the lead and ask what someone prefers. But I think personally, Rusty Dater, I don't think you sound too rusty. You sound like you, like these are some nice dates you're going on. I'm happy for you. I'm a little jealous. <laughs> and I like the thoughtful introspection afterwards. Right. You know, I've been doing this. Is that rude? Is that rude? Is that rude? Truthfully, we hope that that helps and and makes those couple of situations a little bit easier. Our final question today is kind of a happy story question. It begins, Hi, Lizzie and Daniel. Thanks so much for all that you do to help us feel more confident in what we do. Maybe as a result of all the great tips from your podcast, or maybe as a result of a lot of hard work and networking, or maybe a combination of all of the above. I think that's probably likely. (laughs) I have recently been offered an amazing job at a well-known company that I'm so excited to work for. I'm absolutely thrilled about this opportunity except for one thing. The position that I've been offered comes with a long and not too informative title. Think something like Senior Manager of General Business Activities. (laughs) When people learn that I'm starting a new job and ask what I'm doing, what do I say? When I meet new people at work, how do I introduce myself? The industry that I'm in has a lot of customer-facing locations. So saying something like, I'm a manager at blank, inevitably leads people to imagine that I manage a store and might be able to give them a discount. Saying something like, hi, I'm Fancy Pants Worthington, senior manager at very important company corporate headquarters, sounds so stuffy. I don't want to sound like I'm trying to impress anyone, but I don't want to mislead anyone either. Do I have to come up with an elevator speech about what I do just to introduce myself? Any tips that you have would be greatly appreciated. Miss Worthington, Senior Muckety Muck. <laughs> She's glad. I love our listeners are clever. I love it. I personally think you just go with the answer of what you are. I'm senior manager of general business. You know, maybe you don't have to add the activities. Senior manager of general business actually kind of lets people know you might not be a manager of one of the branches. You might be somewhere else. Um, and then the follow-up is, you know, like, oh, oh yeah, we're located at, the headquarters is located at such and such, so that's where I'm at. And that can kind of help clarify a little bit. Yeah. And truthfully, if someone gets it wrong, it's so easy to correct them. Oh, no, I'm not actually at one of the storefronts. I'm at the headquarters managing what happens at all the different storefronts or something like that. And when you say things with lightness and ease, people don't feel stupid about having made a mistake because it sounds like, oh, yeah, that mistake could happen all the It doesn't need to be fraught. Exactly. You can always give a general answer. I work in HR or finance or accounting or management, or you can talk about the industry. I work in mining or I work in entertainment. What do we work in? I work in publishing. You think that's it? I work in... In advice? (laughs) In no, fact, no. it's a difficult one for us. We're not a good example. Sorry. Let's go back to our list. Sorry, our question. But you can definitely talk more generally about the type of industry that you work in. My father used to tell people he worked in computers or he worked for Ben & Jerry's or he worked for the state of Vermont. You don't need to tell people I'm an access database manager for da 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 Yeah, keep it general if you want to keep it general. Nice. I think if you approach it in that way, you're going to be in great shape moving forward. You hear that? She says you're not as rude as you used to be. 
What do you know? Well, thank you for your questions. It's so good to be back, and it's so good to hear from all of you. Please send us updates and comments on anything from today's show. Our phone number is 802-866-0860. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. On Twitter, you can contact us using the hashtag Awesome Etiquette. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I am so excited. I'm like stupid excited about our postscript segment today. I want to give you a three cheers because okay. you put this together while I was away well, and I just think it's awesome. So our producer Hans and I put this together because this is the epitome of why I love this show is that you never know what's going to become a hot button topic. Y'all remember the pizza toppings question? We got so much of a response to that that today's postscript segment is a mailbag specifically on pizza toppings and your responses to that question and our answer to it. So one of the things I'm really excited about, too, is not only is it our first mailbag segment on a specific topic, but it is also the first time we're, we're going to bring our producer Hans onto the show. And I'm really excited. We've been working with Hans for almost two years since now. Since the start. Since the very start. And he's a huge part of the show, and we actually really want him to be a voice on our show more regularly. So he has been combing through your feedback, and we've asked him to join us and help out on this particular segment. Hey, Hans. Hi, Hans. Thank you for joining us officially on air. Hey, guys. So as you said, there was a whole lot of feedback, excellent feedback to this question. Uh, And to dive into that, I want to just start, do a level set for everybody who maybe doesn't quite remember this question. So this was from episode 70. Uh, The question came from Pizza Weary in Colorado, who had some relatives at their house, and the three of them decided that they were going to order a pizza. It took three hours for this group to choose what to put on the pizzas. They finally ended up with half mushroom, half, I don't know, not mushroom. It wasn't specified. And through that process, Pizza Weary was asked several times, what do you want on the pizza? And they said time and time again, I don't care. When the pizza arrived, Pizza Weary took a slice of the mushroom, and the women of the group at that point got pretty frustrated and, as Pizza Weary said, quote, started eating fast and did not say anything for the rest of the meal. She was obviously upset that I did not pick the slice of pizza she thought I should pick. So Pizza Weary's question was, who's obligated to do what? And you guys had a really interesting answer about it. Yeah, it was it was it was actually more heated than we ever thought choosing pizza toppings should like needed to be. It was Although it amazing. doesn't surprise me at all. 
Lizzie and I had approached this question in slightly different ways. We both agree that this isn't a question that is a ladies first type of question. It's not a hosting question. It's not a whose house is it question. It really has to do with the way the ordering of the pizza went down. And one thought that came up was that for the people that it really matters to, it's important that they speak up, that they don't play a victim role and then act really aggrieved afterwards. If you have a dietary restriction, it's important that you let people know. If you're the vegetarian in the group, let people know that the cheese slices of pizza are for the vegetarians and that the meat lover's pizza is for everybody else. At the same time, on the flip side of the equation is the idea that if you don't participate in the process, you can't jump in with a strong preference at the end, that it's important to listen to the person who expresses that preference or who did the ordering when they say, okay, we've got two pizzas here and they're getting divvied up in these ways. So our real takeaway advice on this question was that it's important to talk about it when it arrives, if there's something important about the distribution, and that you be polite and you think about other people when that conversation happens. So that... Dan was exactly what people wrote in about. So we had, for example, Lauren wrote in who Lauren is a vegetarian and she said that she has frequently found herself at the end of a line to get pizza only to find that the meat eaters have taken all of the cheese pizza home alone style. Really tragic. People who don't care about their pizza toppings should always wait until those with dietary needs or strong preferences get their slices first. What do you guys think about that? I totally agree. And I I wish we had added that in our original answer because there are people gluten-free, vegetarian, that sort of thing. And you really do want to make sure those people get to those particular slices and not just one slice. You know, most let's say two slices per person, right? About average maybe. You know, make sure that if you are one of those vegetarians, you grab two slices of the pizza that you can eat. If you're gluten-free, you grab two slices or, or you grab three slices of that pizza that you can eat. So a follow-up to that one, another alternative that was suggested was, in this instance, the listener could have said, did everyone get the slice that they wanted before selecting their slice? I like that idea of a little bit of deference if you didn't engage the process. And I think in this call, they talked about there being a three-hour discussion about what to put on the pizza. That might give you a clue that it's something that other people care about. And it might be a moment to show a little deference to the people that engage that process (laughs) with a little more energy and enthusiasm than you did. So, Dan, you're touching on exactly what the next point. The second main topic that people brought up is that time. A lot of people were confused. Why did it take three hours to order a pizza? And... That that led to a couple of different problems. So Matthew said that the host could have said, whatever we order, I would like to eat in the next half hour, so let's order quickly. Or better yet, could have shown some interest in the process by taking a pencil and paper in hand and facilitating the process. Now, we don't know actually how it all went down, but what do you guys think about helping the process along instead of recusing yourself? I really like that idea only because I think it's so easy to be passive in the process of of group decisions, especially if you don't actually care. You can be a good facilitator of helping the people who do care and say, "Okay, guys, let me let me grab a piece of paper. Let's figure this out because, you know, we we all want some pizza and this this is not rocket science. That is such a great point. And then you can be part of the process saying, you know, I don't mind if the extra one piece of cheese and one piece of mushroom if we go half and half and you like cheese and you like mushroom, I can eat both. And all of a sudden, boom, done. And the pizza's ordered. Exactly. Also, I'll just note that as appetites increase, the difficulty of decision making (laughs) increases exponentially. So every once in a while, it's important just to eat. Very good point, Dan. Very good point. 
What cracks me up is I'm always a big fan of just going straight to cheese. Like, if you can't figure anything else out and, and nobody's, like, lactose intolerant, just get a darn cheese pizza because it's always good. <laughs> so Brian, one of our listeners, rejected the premise entirely and actually, kind of to support your point, Lizzie, said that if it takes longer than 20 minutes to order a pizza, no one is going to be happy. So it would be better to skip the pizza and go get food where they can get individual orders. That's also a good idea, too. You might just say, hey, guys, this is obviously, like, everyone's too wedded to this idea. Let's go for Chinese. So several people queued on the language of I don't care and had a lot of feedback on that. So we got we got a lot of responses about that one. One in particular that I think summarizes it is one from Matthew that says that in the absence of a strong preference, the listener could have stated his intention about what would happen next. You order whatever I like. I will have one slice of each. I think you could have more strongly advised the listener that his not caring had a negative effect on what should have been a key social activity of eating together. So this brings up the question for me of when does trying to be accommodating become a problem? You know, I really like this particular reply because I also often find that language of I don't care problematic. Right. You could express the same sentiment by saying I don't have a strong preference without saying you don't care. And somehow not caring, I think, carries a really negative connotation and might actually become harmful language in a situation where people are trying to make a decision where it does matter to them. I mean, this person is the host, too, in our situation. And now they're being in such a passive position. And some might say, well, that's really good because they're deferring to the guests. But others might say, yeah, but look at what happened to this situation because of it. And I, I I like Matthew's idea of we could have given better instruction on saying, well, um, since I have no preferences, we'll use Dan's language then, since I have no preferences, whatever you guys decide, I'll eat kind of, I don't want to say the leftovers because it's not really leftovers, but I'll eat the leftovers of what you guys don't want for your, your specific items. Will said that it forces the other person to make the decision and hope that they guess right when somebody says, I don't care. It puts so much pressure on the other people to have to deal with it. And it's funny because it's something that's supposed to take pressure off, but it can often put pressure. How much how many times do you go out with a friend and they say, I don't care where we eat. And you're like, oh, my gosh, now I have to make the decision. Give me something to go on. And it does it can be a little bit of a stressful thing. So giving something rather than just complete openness is often considered more helpful. And I would I would venture to guess more polite. And it feels like this would extend out to more than just eating. It feels like as a house guest, not just saying, I don't know, take me wherever you want to in town, I don't know, would be more of a problem than saying, I'd like to see this sort of thing or that sort of thing. Absolutely. In many social circumstances, it's not enough just to get your carcass there. It's really important that you participate and you show some some engagement with what's going on with the group that you're with. So what would you guys say to people who are brought up in cultures where expressing a preference is considered rude? Oh, I would say that we come from a position of, of American etiquette, and it's not a problem to express your preferences here. I might say something like, I love Thai food. I really, truly do. However, I do prefer dishes that don't have cilantro in them or where I can remove the cilantro from them. So by offering sort of a couple of considerations, a yes and a no, that can sometimes soften a thought or a preference. Yeah. The other thing I'd say is is know your role, that if the host is asking you for your preference or if a group is making a group 
decision. Those are times where it's not just appropriate, but it, it might even be important to speak yeah. up. As a guest of honor, you really are in a place of stating what your preference is because people around you are trying to make your preferences happen. As a, a participant in a group where there isn't a guest of honor and it's just like all you and your friends getting together, that's one where you can state your preference, but you need to do it in a way that's open to the rest of the group. So what about the flip side of that? If you're the host, either in a food situation or in a living situation, and you have a guest who comes from a family or a culture who feels like expressing an opinion is rude. I think there's a certain responsibility for a host to try to engage uh, a guest, to try to figure out what's going to make them the most comfortable and put them the most at ease. Sometimes that's being completely taken care of. Sometimes that's taking oh, the responsibility the make all the and okay, making yeah. those choices. If you really sense that someone um, is uncomfortable with you asking them repeatedly what they prefer, what they want, I think you pick up on that cue and you try to respect it. At the same time, I think that you make an effort to check in with your guest and to figure out what it is that's going to make them the most comfortable and put them the most at ease. You might even say something like, while you're staying with here with me, I would love to know some of your preferences or I would love to know some of the things you like because it would make me feel so good as a host to be able to entertain them. I love that sample language. I just, this question again, it blew me away. It was such a great question. I loved how much you all got into it. And I am hoping that we will have more experiences like this on the show. Hans, I'm so excited that you got to be here with us for our first time with you. And I'm really excited for the audience to get to know you. Well, thank you guys. Let's do it again soon. Definitely. And we love when you, our audience, give us feedback. So please keep it coming. You can leave us a voicemail at 802-866-0860. Or you can always reach us by email at awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Each week, as you know, we end our show with an etiquette salute to celebrate all the good things happening out in the world. I'm really excited for today's etiquette salute. We're going to do it a little bit differently than we usually do. Our producer, Hans, has been calling up those of you that have sent in salutes and recording your stories in your own voices. And today we're going to be hearing a salute from Beth. Lizzie and I are going to be hearing it for the first time right along with all of you. So cool. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. My name is Beth Fitzgerald. I live in Orange, California, and I'd like to share something that happened over the holidays that definitely deserves a salute. On Christmas Eve, um, I was getting ready to buy some groceries to uh, co-host a family meal. Um, We usually do a a pretty big spread for about 10 people, so it was some last-minute shopping. That day, I was picking up um, some ingredients for pearled onions, actually, which I got the idea for from Lizzie. (laughs) So I was getting the frozen onions and um, some heavy cream and... It was such a busy day. I don't think I've ever seen that location so busy. Um, The lines were wrapped all through the aisles, um, kind of snaking around three or four different aisles. Everything was backed up. It was was just chaos. I waited in line um, with my basket full of groceries for, it was probably a good 20 to 30 minutes before I even got up to the cashier. And so I pulled out my debit card, which is how I had figured I would pay, and I ran it through the machine just as I would any other time, any other store, and it didn't work. It canceled the entire transaction. 
I was panicked when I figured out it, it wasn't going to work. I started thinking as quick as I could on my feet to try to figure out another way to pay. So I stepped out of line. I called my husband and I explained the situation and the cashier is within earshot. So he hears me getting more and more flustered as I'm telling my husband what's going on. And once the cashier sees me off the phone, he comes out from around his register where he still has a long, long line of people and asks if he can take my bag to the back because he noticed that I had had some frozen items in there. And he wanted to make sure that they stayed cold and stayed frozen. So he took them personally back to their storeroom and put them in the refrigerator for me. The manager came over, um, just kind of kept an eye on my progress and asked how things were going. And then he also noticed how frustrated I was getting. So he offered a cookie from where he was in his little desk area. It was an almond snowman cookie that was amazing. And I think it probably tasted better because I was under such stress. <laughs> so once my husband showed up, uh, I got back in line and we pay and everything works well. So we're making our way out and the cashier that I had originally had stopped to ask if I'd gotten everything figured out, made sure that I got all of my groceries and um, wished us a Merry Christmas and hoped that I had a good day. To have them still be smiling, friendly, very kind and patient with me, especially on Christmas Eve, it was it was just such a nice feeling. It was just nice to have people who definitely didn't have to be nice to me. They could have easily have been annoyed with me. Um, they were still friendly, and they uh, really took the extra step to make sure I was comfortable. And that was, I can't even describe how good that felt. <laughs> So to the staff at Trader Joe's in Orange, California, and especially to that cashier that helped me out, um, you were so much more helpful than you know, and you really provided the best customer service that I've ever had, and especially on an important day. So thank you for all of your kindness and for your patience with me. I think what is amazing about that salute is how many people who worked at the store were taking the time, even though there was a lot going on and it was chaotic and they themselves could be feeling so rushed, to just check in and, and see how Beth was doing with everything. I think that's awesome. I'm reminded of how important the little kindnesses can be to someone. That, like there, there wasn't even anything there that was beyond, beyond, beyond. They were all just little kindnesses, little courtesies, the quality with which the, the interactions happened that left this person feeling less stressed instead of more stressed and, and what an impact that ends up having. And I want to close this out by mentioning this is the second time we have had a Trader Joe's experience as an etiquette salute. You know, I, I'm not sure, obviously, store-specific, that sort of a thing, but I do think it's impressive when a, a national chain starts to get recognized for really good service. Thank you so much, Beth for that salute. We really appreciate hearing from you. Well, now, wasn't that better? Look at the effect of a little politeness. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you for spending some of your week with us. And remember, there is no show without you. So please send us your questions, your comments, your suggestions, and of course, your etiquette salutes. 
If you like what you hear, don't be shy. Tweet it, Facebook post it. And of course, you can subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E. Or you can visit our website, emilypost.com. Our theme music was composed and performed by Bob Wagner, and our show is produced by the incredible Hans Buto. Who we are so glad you now know. Hold up. 